This is Women of Grace Live, discussing issues important to your life and faith. Spiritual insight, practical wisdom. Join us as we transform the world one woman at a time. Women of Grace, for such a time as this. Now, here's your host, Johnette Williams. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams. I am so delighted and happy to be with you today. You know that because I tell you that every day, Monday through Friday. We love spending this time with you discussing issues of importance to your life and your faith. We always invite you to be with us Monday through Friday, and I ask you to set a clock or an alarm or your watch or your phone so that you can join us at this time uh, as we come together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and use these airwaves to proclaim his marvelous deeds. That's what we do right here at Women of Grace Live. Always also trying to give you insight into some of the uh, special issues that we face within our culture today and how to respond to them from a Catholic perspective and how to open our hearts to that wisdom and that knowledge that comes by way of the Holy Spirit as we make our way on this pilgrim journey to life on high in Christ Jesus. And we're going to be doing something like that today. So typically, I'm giving you the numbers at this point in time, asking you to give us a call. But I've got an interview lined up for you today. I'm going to be talking with John Clark. Uh, I've known John for so very many years, and he's written a, a book today that I think is so very important. I had the opportunity to interview him on television, not too long ago. And I knew then that I wanted to do more with him on this book. And I thought, well, gee whiz, radio is the way to do it. And because of the subject matter, I want him to be able to get into it in in a lot of detail, as much as we can do within the hour that we have together. So we're going to hold calls today, but I'd be happy to take your calls on the discussion. Uh, You know, another day, feel free to call us in with any questions that you might have uh, pertinent to what it is that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about marriage, and the book that John has written is Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. And I think that you can hear that that subtitle and say, oh my goodness, wow, gee, I never really thought about the situation that we're facing within uh, the, 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 the confines of that great sacrament of matrimony as being something that has to do with failed leadership in the church. But John in his book makes a case for it. Uh, but as he does all of the time when he makes a case for something, he also gives us some solutions and remedies. Uh, we have to be willing to employ those, of course. But by the same token, at least we know that there is a way out of the dilemma that we see ourselves in, and we truly are in a dilemma. Uh, so we're going to be getting to John in just a moment after we come back from that first break, but I want to remind you to get out to our website, womenofgrace.com. We have all kinds of great resources archived for you there to help you live that abundant life in our Lord Jesus Christ and to share that abundant life with others. (laughs) That is the call and mission. We are church after all. And remember what Pope Paul VI told us, the church exists to do what? To evangelize. So you, by virtue of your baptism in Christ Jesus, is called to be an evangelist today. Yay! (laughs) That is good news indeed. So God intended for you to be a voice, right? A voice of truth in the day and time in which we live. That's why he's given you life and trusted life to you at this moment in the history of man, because he wants to be, uh, he wants to use you to be his mouthpiece. Yes, he does. Uh, that comes by way of, of, of one of the beautiful realities that accompanies that baptism of yours that you received. Uh, many of you, most of you probably as a child, but for oh, better than a good handful of you, uh, maybe as an adult. Uh, and that is that you are baptized with small P's and small K, priest, prophet, king. 
one of the ways in which we exercise that prophetic gift is by being that voice of truth in our day and time. So you know you've got the grace. We just have to have the gumption. Uh, the gumption comes by way of, of the sacrament of confirmation and the strengthening that we receive there in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, and also some of the gifts that, that uh, are, are given to us at that moment, such as fortitude, right? Fortitude. That's courage. Fortitude is courage. It, it, it's a deeper meaning than courage, though, because, you know, courage we can have in an instant, right? You know, you can find yourself courageous in a moment of crisis. Um, but fortitude is something different. It's, it's an abiding gift of the Holy Spirit, which means it's always at the ready. Uh, and it pertains more to a way of living, right, rather than a singular moment in time. To live with fortitude means that you're constantly living through the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it is allowing ourselves to work with that gift, uh, allowing ourselves to, to, to take ownership of the reality that we're called to be strong. And in a culture today that is completely bemused may I say, by the idea of demolishing the institutions uh, that have been longstanding, not just in this country, but, you know, in the history of man, especially marriage, going back to that moment in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, right? And God brings them together, man and woman, and we hear, you know, this, this, this beautiful word being given, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This institution of the sacrament that is primordial in the history of man, right? Primordial, going back to the beginning, um, is, is being truly undermined today. Um, it is, it, you know, I, I almost see it as a great, big, wonderful ship on the water of life, and it's got all kinds of attack going at it, you know? Uh, it's sort of like John Bosco's dream there, and he sees that, that big ship being the bark of Peter. Well, everything in the bark of Peter, such as the sacrament of matrimony, is under bombardment today by alien forces, uh, by the powers of evil. And so we've got to stand strong. That's you and me and all of us together. And John's going to help for us to understand, you know, the, the, perhaps the genesis of this problem within the context of our church history, uh, and also give us some uh, very good ideas on what it is that we can do to remediate it. I'm eager for you to meet John. I, I, I know that I've probably had him on radio in the past, had him on television a few times, I don't think nearly often enough. Uh, but he is, a, he is a, a strong voice crying out in the wilderness of our day and time. Uh, so I'm going to be uh, inviting you to get out there to EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Get a copy of John's book, Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. Uh, that book and other books of John's are available for you there. You can go to our website and you can actually watch the programs that I've done with John, uh, you know, most recently on this book, but also programs that we've done together in the past. They're there for you. Just get out there to womenofgrace.com, click on TV. You can put his name in the search feature that'll pop up for you, Clark, C-L-A-R-K, just the way it sounds, and boom, what's going to happen there? Well, uh, all of his programs are going to come up and you can watch them at your leisure. 
I always like to recommend, though, you know, that on programs like this, you, you know, you want to be very attentive. And if, if you're a student, <laughs> meaning that if you're one who really likes to 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 acquire knowledge, you know, uh, then you might want to have a little notepad with you and jot some things down or your iPad or whatever it is you use to take notes today. I, I'm a dinosaur in that way. <laughs> I kind of like the tactile reality of a pencil in my fingers and a piece of paper underneath my hand there so that I can write stuff down. Uh, but we're going to be coming back with John Clark in, in just a minute or so. And uh, again, we're holding calls today. Uh, we're not taking calls today. We're uh, not taking anything on social media either for this program because I just want you to be very attentive and listening listening to what John is going to share with us because it's vitally important to our day and time. Uh, so I want you to get out to EWTN's Religious Catalog. Again, that's EWTNRC.com, the home of holy reminders, I like to say, in memory of our own mother, Angelica, our foundress. Uh, Betrayed Without a Kiss, hard to forget that title. Uh, defending marriage after years of failed leadership in the church by our guest today, John Clark. When we come back, we're going to be with John. We're going to be talking about this topic. I'm going to be asking you to listen up because it's so very important. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. This is Johnette Williams. As I shared with you at the beginning of the program, we're not taking calls today, nor are we taking any questions or comments left for us on social media because I have a guest today and I wanted to give him the full benefit uh, of our program to talk with you about a topic that I think is so vitally important. We're going to be talking about marriage and why it is that uh, marriage, after, uh, after uh, so many fantastic uh, realities, with regard to it and the importance that it has in the life of church, why it is that marriage seems to be failing uh, within our, not only our culture, but maybe even slightly more concerning uh, within the context of our life in Christ or our Catholic faith. Uh, John pins it primarily on failed leadership in the church, and we're going to find out why. Um, he, John Clark is a husband, he's a father, he's a columnist, he's a speechwriter, he's a blogger, and he's a faithful Catholic. Uh, you know, if you read National Catholic Register, you're going to see his name there frequently. He writes a lot for, for National Catholic Register as well as for other Catholic publications and secular publications as well. Uh, he is very attuned to cultural trends, especially Catholic trends, and the impact that they have on our society. Uh, and he is concerned. He's concerned about the number of couples celebrating the sacrament uh, being uh, precipitously shrunk over the last five decades. And he thinks that a lot of these problems, as I was mentioning, have to do uh, with failed leadership within the church. He's written a book about it. I'm encouraging you to get out to EWTN's religious catalog, that's EWTNRC.com, to get a copy of his book, Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. John, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much. You're so very, very welcome. And I was sharing with our listeners as the program was getting started that I had the opportunity to interview you uh, on this particular book not too too terribly long ago, a little while back, mm -hmm. a couple of months ago. Uh, and, you know, I knew then that this topic is way too important just to do two programs on, but that's the only, that's the only time we had available for television. So I said, I'm going to bring this man back and get him on the air for radio because I wanted our radio listeners to hear what you have to say about this. this you know, obviously... 
you know, you being who you are, you're very concerned about what's going on in the world today and especially within the church. But, you know, I was talking about that virtue of fortitude, that, that, you know, that beautiful, beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit that is ours. And I think it took a lot of fortitude, and may I just say courage, <laughs> to write this book because you, you're basically calling the leadership of the church out with regard to this decline in the number of Catholic couples or couples that are baptized Catholic getting married today. Well, I appreciate you uh, those comments. I appreciate you calling it fortitude and courage. I, I would probably start by saying that there are some voices in the Catholic world right now who seem to enjoy calling out priests and bishops. For the record, I am not one of them. I don't like doing this. Um, but I will say that this particular thing needs to be done because, again, you know, you opened you know, the segment speaking about um, the problems in marriage. It's really, the way to start the discussion, I think, is by looking at a couple of data points. Okay. In the late 1960s, uh, there were th- about 350 annulments per year. That's every diocese in America combined, 350 annulments. That's the late 60s. Twenty years later, there were 70,000 annulments. So something pretty bad happened, 350 to 70,000. The second data point would be, if you go back to that same time frame, late 1960s, there were 400,000 Catholic weddings in America. But in the year 2020, we had fewer than 100,000 weddings in all of America, Catholic weddings. So you start looking at those numbers, and you, you can't be silent about it if you realize what's going on. And it, so that is what that was the impetus for you know, writing this book and really asking the question, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good question to ask. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you did. How was it that you first became aware of these, you know, as, as we called them, precipitously shrinking numbers? How, how, what alerted you to this in the first place? So there was a friend of mine that came to me maybe three or four years ago and was having problems. His marriage looked like a divorce might be on the horizon for him. So he came to me some, for some help. He recognized, you know, he knew me as a Catholic apologist, and he said, John, what's, I'm hearing some things from my diocese which don't make a lot of sense. And one of them was is that um, his diocese, and I thought that this is true for every diocese that I know of, actually mandated that he get a civil divorce prior to even having an annulment hearing. And my reaction to that was, that can't, you must have misunderstood. That, that can't be. And I researched it and figured out that actually that was the case. His diocese, and again, it's every diocese that I'm aware of, mandate civil divorce paperwork before they will even hear, uh, even discuss the validity of your marriage. That's a broken system. What, what, do you, what do you see as broken about it? Well, I'd start with this. I would say that in America right now, um, there, there, so let me, I'll go into the two reasons why they give, and this is something we talked about on the TV show. You had asked me, and I said, well, there's not a really good answer, because you asked me a really good question. <laughs> why is there still a divorce prior? And, I, and I, uh, the answer is essentially, and I've actually spent a lot of time researching since then, so it was a great question. So essentially the two, uh, there's a couple of answers that are given. One of them is, is that, is that the diocese has claimed that they are worried um, about what's, what's called in law alienation of affection. It's a term held over from common law, which basically is, is that if, uh, 
if if I did something, or let's say that I encouraged uh, a, a a friend of mine to divorce her husband, he could theoretically sue me if she went on to get a divorce, because he he could theoretically sue me as as someone who alienated, uh, who caused an alienation of affection for the spouse. Okay, that's basically I that. why it's on the yeah. That's why it's on the book. Typically, it's it's used for an you know for an adult for an adulterer basically. But here's what's interesting I found out about that. There are only six states, obviously out of 50 states in America, who even have alienation of affection on the books, which is obviously to say that 44 states don't even have alienation of affection laws. So if anyone in the diocese, in a particular diocese, like I live in Florida, as you well know, so... And here in Florida, there's no alienation of affection law. You can't be sued for it because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So if dioceses are claiming, well, we're worried about alienation of affection, well, stop worrying. Rest easy because, you know, as, as I say, in only six states, though those exist. And within those, corporations and churches are never sued. So mm-hmm. it's, a really, it's a really lousy answer. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense to me. And of course, you know, I, I think when we think about, you know, annulment, um, and, and we talk about annulment a lot on, on Women of Grace Live, because we get all kinds of questions related to marriages and, and difficulties and struggles. And, uh, you know, so this, this issue comes up often enough. So I think it would be good for us to talk a little bit about what an annulment is, because many people believe that it's simply Catholic divorce. In other words, well, you know, you get a civil divorce, and then the church has her own way of, of doing divorce, and it's called annulment. But, but that isn't what it is. I mean, and this goes back to the marriage covenant itself. And, and what that means. So, you know, when we're unpacking this today and we're talking about, well, where, where, where has, has some of the leadership gone wrong? And you're pointing out one very big way, I think, uh, then it begins to, it begins to help us to understand that this can be corrected and it should be corrected and why it needs to be corrected. So let's talk a little bit about that reality of what, what the marriage covenant is and what annulment is in light of that. And why it's putting the cart before the horse to mandate that there be a civil divorce prior to even a hearing of whether or not there's a decree of nullity available. So absolutely. So um, annulment, uh, first of all, I should say that annulment is not a great word. What we should be saying is a finding of nullity, or maybe even more descriptively, a discovery of nullity. Mm-hmm. So Okay. So uh, what, what would happen in that case would be is that let's say that, uh, you know, there are, by the way, there are valid reasons why people can get, find, why findings of nullity can happen. What changes, though, it, it, but essentially annulment, a finding of nullity is going back essentially to the wedding day. So when you were married, so Lisa, when Lisa and I were married, for instance, um, we were, that was, that was something that happened on that day. The marriage was either valid right then or not. Nothing that happens later has any effect over that validity. Yes. The problem is, and that's a key thing, but the problem is, is that when you had, uh, the divorce culture, which certainly came into vogue in the late 1960s, uh, probably, probably a bit prior to that, but in terms of a cultural thing where it was sort of, you know, pretty, pretty widespread, what, 
what happened, the, the argument for the divorce was, for civil divorce, would be, oh, I'm not happy anymore in my marriage. I want out. Well, effectively, that became the same argument for seeking a uh, decree of nullity. I'm not happy anymore. But the problem is, I mean, some marriages are, you know, much more happier than others. There are some, certainly a lot of troubled marriages out there. But they're still valid. M- my marriage, because, you know, I always say, look, I have a storybook marriage. I've had a crush on Lisa since Reagan was in office. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where I'm coming from, right? I have, a, I have a lovely marriage, right? One of those you read about. Mostly that's my wife's doing. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, is that God has blessed us, right? But my marriage is no more valid than someone who is in a marriage that is troubled. It's valid or not. But part of the problem was is that canon lawyers went rogue and basically started to argue that, well, they're not happy anymore, and they would start to look at things that happened afterward. And then what they would justify that with is going back and saying, well, back when you were married, were you influenced by, you know, this? Were you influenced by that? I mean, how mature were you really? Well, I was 21. I... And I would have gotten married. I know I wanted to marry Lisa when I was 17. I would have done it. I thought it'd be good to have a job. But I, you know, would go to college. But, but essentially, to, the, to your point, it's that it was basically, it was people going in, wanting an annulment, and then it became, you know, getting a, getting a lawyer on your side or a candidate lawyer on your side to represent you and get it annulled. And, and the, the, one of the greatest scandals surrounding this is not simply the number, but it's the fact that in many dioceses, 100% of people who file for annulment get an annulment. 100%. Well, that's, so, that's, that's, um, that's telling in and of itself, isn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, so, if you, so in other words, if you go in, and, and, the, and the sad part is, well, there are many sad parts, but another sad part is, is that uh, I heard a statistic the other day that in terms of civil divorce, seventy percent, seventy percent of civil divorces have a, have one party that didn't want the divorce. Seventy percent. So, so most of the time, this is not you know a mutual thing, right? Unless you forget, this is another scandal, and this is that is that we have unilateral no fault divorce. You can leave for any reason at all or no reason. Yeah. Um. So it it, it creates this. So what what I'm getting at is is the divorce the divorce culture leads to an annulment culture with much of the same logic for both. You know, and, and I have to agree with you. Now, you know, I'm, I am old enough to remember when you had to have grounds for a divorce. You had to mm-hmm. go before a judge. A judge would hear the case. A judge would make a decision. And that decision was binding as to whether or not you could get a divorce. Um, and so divorce in the United States of America, I can't speak for other countries because I'm not aware of what it was like then and haven't done a study on it. Uh, but at least in the United States of, Amor- of America, divorce was a rare occasion. Now, I grew up in, in a neighborhood. It was a blue-collar neighborhood. Grew up in this neighborhood. Um, it was primarily, I, I would say, it was a it was a it was a culturally mixed neighborhood in the sense that there were a lot of Protestants and a lot of Catholics there. I didn't know one couple. I didn't experience one child whose parents had divorced until I got to college. Now th- that's pretty remarkable, right? 
there was no one divorced in my neighborhood, no one in a second marriage in my neighborhood, no mixed or blended families in my neighborhood. Um, there were none in my elementary school as a whole. There were none in my high school as a whole. I knew of none. Uh, and so when I went off to university and met someone whose parents were divorced and then subsequently met someone whose parents were getting a divorce, you know, I, I was horrified by the concept of it. Uh, and I know that that sounds so strange today, but, you know, this is where we are today, where it's become so commonplace. I even heard uh, someone that I know quite well um, who... Uh, 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 provide services for brides at weddings. She's, she's a makeup artist. And she said she attended a wedding not long ago where the, the bride herself was already planning her second wedding. Oh, she's getting married, getting makeup put on her face, but planning in her mind to divorce this guy and at some point in time to have another wedding. So, I mean, we, we've, we've, we've broken this, 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 whole beautiful reality of what God intends through this union of man and wife that he's elevated to the 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 the, the altar and calls it sacrament. So I think that we need to talk a little bit about what marriage is to understand why this is so alarming. And then of course, you know, what I, I want for us to do uh, to John is, is, is to talk about some remedies, but I want to give just, you know, uh, you know, some of those statistics that you were given, because I've got these uh, based on the program that we did the last time. So as you said, um, the, this, this precipitous decline happened after the 1960s. Uh, in 1980s, uh, it dropped from the 426,000 in 1969 to 326. And in the year 2014, only 148,000 couples received the sacrament. And in 2020, the number, as you said, shrank to less than 100,000. And so this is, this is not good news. It's not good news for society because marriage is the basic cell. A family is the, an intact family is the basic cell of society. Uh, and it's not good for the children um, who, who are the, the, the beautiful offspring of, of this union of husband and wife, uh, the, the, the ones who, who, who experience this. We know that divorce is not healthy for children. Um, you can't make something healthy that's, that's already unhealthy. You can work with it, make it better. But there's always that, that longing in, in the heart of the child. Um, and this is not to castigate any of you listening today that, that might be divorced or might have procured an annulment. Because as John is saying, there are reasons for it. It exists because there are reasons for it. What he's talking about here is an abuse and the infiltration of the cultural decline of the dignity of the coming together of husband and wife infecting the church like a cancer begins to infect a body. And here it's the body of Christ. And we want to offer ways in which we can kind of stop this and, and come to a better resolution for those marriages that are struggling. So more with John Clark on the other side of the break. Stay with us.
Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams, happy as a clam to be with you today. I am happy to be with you Monday through Friday at this same time on this same station, discussing issues of importance to your life and your faith. Uh, we're discussing a big topic today, and because it's such a big topic, we're not taking any calls and we're not using social media. So uh, I, I just really want you to listen up. We're talking about a really hard topic today because it's one I know that stings. Um, sometimes to hear these kinds of, of, of discussions. And yet I think that it's really important. Uh, you know, it's sort of like when, when you have a wound, you know, you've got this wound and it's gaping and it needs to be cleaned. And you know, it is really going to hurt. It's going to really, really hurt uh, when that, you know, that antiseptic is applied to that wound. But you know, if the wound is going to heal, then you have to apply the antiseptic, right? So, um, you know, so this, I, I, here's my big old disclaimer here. Uh, we're not talking about individual ca- cases here. We're not talking about you. Uh, we're not talking about anything um, other than the topic itself and the need for a recognition of a, a malady, really, that, that's that's happening within the context of society as a whole, but has also begun to infect the church. And here we're talking about the decline of marriages in the church. And we know that there are cultural influences for that. When I bring our guests back on, maybe we'll talk about some of those. Uh, but uh, John has written a book. His name is John Clark. I've known John for, I don't know, maybe 20 years. It's got to be at least that long. Uh, he is uh, a husband, a father. He's a columnist. He's a speech writer. He's a blogger. Above all, he's a faithful Catholic. He loves his faith. Um, he is very attuned to cultural trends because of what it is that he's done. And he's attuned to cultural trends uh, within and outside of the Catholic Church, right? And it's important to look at both of them because both have a huge impact on our society. Now, he's written a book. I interviewed him on television. I told you about that uh, at the beginning of the show. I interviewed him on this book on television. And you can watch those programs by going out to womenofgrace.com, clicking on TV, putting John's name in, John Clark, C-L-A-R-K, uh, into the search engine and the shows will come up and you can watch them. I think that you should. Uh, But I wanted to have him on radio too because the topic is so important. His book is great, Betrayed Without a Kiss. I mean, not what a captivating title, but that's why he is a columnist, a speechwriter, a blogger, (laughs) you know, a book writer and all of these things, an author. Betrayed Without a Kiss, here is the the, the equally uh, enticing sub uh, subtitle defending marriage after years of failed leadership in the church prior to our break we were talking about the issue of annulment which is a big annulment uh, a big issue rather and um, so we wanted to come back I want to come back to that because you know you were sharing with us and I think that we were talking um, around some of the realities and and one of the things that you said, uh, John, is that, you know, a, 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 a finding or a discovery of nullity, which is really good language, null meaning nil, <laughs> void, right? A discovery of that uh, is, it has nothing to do with what happens after the marriage. So adultery, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be looked at as, as validating an annulment, right? I fell out of love is not valid. Um, I'm not happy anymore isn't valid. Um, my house or uh, my husband or my wife is a louse is not valid. It's unfortunate and, and things need to be done about that. But it's not the dissolution of the marriage uh, because the uh, a finding or a discovery of nullity goes back to the moment of marriage. So let's just talk with the mind and the heart of the church for a moment about what marriage is. 
what is marriage? So, so I think that when, when this is such a great question, and I think that I think it took a book as opposed to a blog to answer this question. So what I did was to answer that question, I went back all the way back, and as you well know, my it starts off in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. So what ha- yes. what happened? And so if we really want to understand mar- the sacrament of matrimony, we need to understand to start the discussion that sacraments are restorative in nature. So in other words, Jesus re- uh, uh, elevated matrimony to a sacrament. So to understand what was intended originally by God, look to the garden, and what do we find? We find that uh, marriage is indissoluble from the beginning. That's very clear. We learn that children are primary from the beginning. And again, I'll say it here because it's not set up in churches. The primary purpose of marriage is the procreation and education of children. There are secondary ends, but the primary purpose is that. And if you want to know why, you know, sometimes I think people think the church sort of pulls things out of a hat, right? Well, why, why is the church talking about that? Where, where is that in Scripture? Well, it really couldn't be any clearer, because it's God's first command to man, right? Be fruitful and multiply. But beyond that, we see something that's very intriguing also, is that it's not just the procreation, which would be be fruitful and multiply, it's the education, or we might say, we might say upbringing, because ed- education from the Latin is a more comprehensive word than we get in English, but it would be more upbringing. So we really need to focus on that. And one of the ways that really drives home, it really emphasizes how important marriage is in the Old Testament, is by looking at the New Testament. So at the end of the Old Testament, the devil comes, the serpent comes and uh, attempts a marriage to, attempts a, a marriage. So essentially, the devil, his first move is to break up a marriage. He's tempting the couple together. That's and interesting. So, yeah, so again, what you have is, is that the, the book of Genesis and that, in the, in, the, um, uh, in that section ends in tragedy. But I do find one thing really interesting, and I really want to emphasize this in the book, that as tumultuous as Adam and Eve's marriage was, and creation fell, it's hard to top that. And yet, Adam and Eve never considered divorce. I don't, and I say, I don't think they ever forgot how good marriage could be. So we look at that, and then we go to open the, the, the Gospel of John, and we go to the wedding feast of Cana. An incredible thing happens. Mary says they have no wine. Now, a quick reading might simply mean, well, Barry's just noticing, well, they don't have any wine, or it was, just, it was like they don't have any cake, there's something wrong, you know, this is embarrassing for the couple. Mary knew very well that when she said that, she was essentially um, beginning the, the road, Jesus' Jesus's road to Calvary, because she was suggesting or, you know, telling him, that, 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 you know, by saying there's no wine, it was a way of saying this is the time for your public ministry to begin at a wedding, and so to affirm that. So how important is marriage to God? Incredibly important. How important is marriage to Mary? Incredibly important. And we need to start looking back on these, and throughout the book, in terms of answering the question, what is marriage, there's a lot there, and I'm hoping that priests will pick this up and start talking about the beauty of marriage you made a good point earlier uh, in the last segment. You talked about how you didn't know anybody that was divorced growing up. So 
But I'd be willing to guess that in that same time frame, priests talked about the fact that God hates divorce. Now we don't want to talk. Focus Malachi. They don't. They don't focus on that. So we need to look at all this. We need to look at the fact that that God loves marriage and emphasize that from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I, there's there's so many thoughts going through my mind. I got some comments. Um, more than 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 a question right now, but you know, um, it, it, it's an, there, there is that saying, you know, don't let the camel get its nose under the tent because pretty soon the tent collapses. And unfortunately, in the late '60s, what did happen is the camel got its nose under the tent, and so we're seeing the collapsing of a lot uh, that that has taken place uh, through these intervening 50 years, uh, but continuing to take place. Um, and and we've got to get the camel out of the tent, which means we've got to let the we've got to get the infectious notions of a culture that has gone mad, a culture that is infatuated with deception, um, a culture that is infatuated with darkness. We've got to get that out of the out of the tent. We've got to get it out. Um, now, how we get it out? That's another question. Uh, but but that's that's part of this issue, and I think that we've said that already when we talked about the fact that you know in 1973 was when no fault divorce um, was was became the law of the land, and it was also the same year that that Roe v. Wade was passed. So you put those two together, and you begin to see that that was a year of victory uh, for for the demonic. I mean, it was a year of victory. Uh, so. That being said, though, I love the the use of the term, you know, because this was something that I read in your book that I had never thought about, and I've spent a lot of time in the garden uh, because I just I truly love uh, the first three three chapters of Genesis are are probably my three favorite chapters in sacred scripture, um, mm-hmm. and I, I spent a whole lot of time there, and I never thought about the fact, even though it, it you know really it's kind of once you say it, it's like, oh my gosh, of course that's the case. You know, Adam was alone, right? He didn't know really who he was. So God says it's not good for the man to be alone. He takes the rib out of his side and he forms the woman. And at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The, 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 the use of the, the term that you use that, that I see is restorative. You know, it's restorative. Um, in other words, it restores Adam to a full notion of who he is. He, 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 this, this, it's, it's, it, 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 in some way, it makes him whole, right? It makes him mm-hmm. whole. And I think it's in your book, you talk about, uh, and, uh, you know, there was one, and then there were two, and then they were one again, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. it, you, you say that, and, and, and it's, you know, you have to think about that. You know, there was one. The, the the woman comes from the side of man. There were two, and then through the 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 uh, beautiful uh, uh, marital act, they become one again, and that becomes a fruitful action. You know that 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 is is proof of the beauty of that union, and uh, you know and and is not only restorative but replicative. <laughs> You know, that love replicates itself, if you will, uh, in, in, in another human person, and it all begins again. Um, and that's beautiful. The other thing that I think is so lovely about what you said here, and I mean lovely in, in, in terms of, of um, intellectual consideration, is the fact that um, you talk about the fact, and I never really thought about this. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what Adam was doing. He was sleeping on the job. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but but he wasn't paying much attention. But but what does the you know they're always together up to the point where the evil one lures 
Eve away from her husband, away from the protective custody of her husband, you know. And, and so he separates them and attacks one. And this really kind of pertains, doesn't it, to what you said about 70% of annulment cases in the United States, there is one of the parties that does not want the annulment. In other words, he separates, he divides, uh, and usually it's one party in that marriage that is lured away in some fashion. Um, a third notion is is when th- th- that I was thinking about was when you said that you know the, the 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 primary good of marriage. What is marriage ordered to? Marriage is ordered to the procreation of children. That's what it's ordered towards: procreation, be fruitful, multiply. You know, it, it, that is the first commandment. And it's, that's why it's sad when a couple wants to have children and is not able to conceive, right? Mm-hmm. It's regrettable, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the fact of the matter is, you know, this, this, this idea of the replication of children um, is what marriage is ordered to. We've got this false notion in our minds that it's ordered for my happiness. <laughs> it's ordered right. for my satisfaction, right? It's not order to that. And this brings us to the other elephant in the room that we have to talk about. And like I said, this is such an involved topic, but it's such a good one. We wouldn't have annulments and people looking for annulments. We wouldn't have divorces. Here I'm talking specifically about Catholic couples. We wouldn't have divorces if we had good marriage preparation, and we don't. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, as I mentioned in the book, we talked about, so I think John Paul II talked about uh, the stages of uh, what we would call pre-Cana here in America, right? So you have the proximate stage, you've got the... Well, in America, the part of the problem is is that, well, first of all, some of the pre-Cana uh, marriage prep is disastrous. Um, couples get together and exchange ideas for what, they, what they're using for contraception. It's just a disaster. But the other problem is, is that if you want, there was an idea uh, a couple of years ago that uh, the church should take 16 months to do marriage prep. Well, that's me that violates natural law. The couple has a natural law right to marry, and 16 months is far too long. But if the idea is that we want to make sure that couples know their faith, I'm all for it. So here's my idea. Start speaking about marriage from the pulpit to everyone in church. What, what, in other words, why am I waiting to, like I was married at 21, so let's say uh, I don't hear anything about marriage from the pulpit until I'm engaged and ready to get married, and I'm getting married at six months. I don't really know anything about my faith at all. That's a really bad system. So what it should be is, is that priests should talk about marriage at least five or six times a year from the pulpit. Talk about it. Um, we're not hearing enough from the pulpit. That's the primary problem. I mean, I'm happy to have written this book. I want to get this message out. But at the end of the day, if, if this doesn't result in priests speaking about the good and the goods of marriage, the beauty of marriage, God's design for marriage, it's not going to get any better. I, I wish I were more hopeful, but if the priests aren't going to talk about it, um, you, know, you see, that, that's the issue. We need to hear this from the pulpit. So the pre-cana needs to start to be to address to children. So if you're speaking to everybody, I always wonder sometimes, who do priests think is in the audience? Like, as a speechwriter, the first thing I have, somebody, if a, if a client calls me today and says, John, I'm doing a speech in three weeks, 
I always start by asking this question, even before the topic. My question is, who's the audience? It's always my first question. Well, I wonder if priests ask that, too. The audience is families. It's not other priests. The audience is families. Obviously, there's many single people, too, and that's part of the, part of the, the, the uh, composition of the congregation. But the thing is, the priests need to explain what it is to be holy, what it is to be virtuous. Explain to me what I should be to make a good husband. I want to know. You know, people should, should know what it is. What, what, I want my teenage to hear from the pulpit what they should be looking for in a spouse. That's pre-Cana. I mean, if you really want to do it, show people what it is to be a good person, to be someone, uh, you know, who believes in the That way, by the time they're dating, they're already looking for a good, they're already lo- they already know what to look for. Now, they might read that, they might, you know, think, well, that's, I'm going to do my own thing. At least you're giving them an idea of what they should be looking for. So yeah. this needs to be done. This isn't like a couple of month thing. It's a, it's a lifetime thing. And that's after right. we're married, they should be nourished in our marriage. You know, what you're saying is absolutely essential. And I, I, I think that, that what you were alluding to with, with John Paul II is that, you know, listen, there's, there's remote preparation, proximate preparation, mm-hmm. and immediate preparation. The remote preparation is the example of good and holy marriages, children raised in, in families where, you know, where mom and dad are working hard on their marriage. Marriage is a vocation. That means it's a path to holiness and sanctity of life. Um, that means that there's going to be trials, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be problems, there's going to be challenges, uh, there's going to be reversals, there's going to be all of the ups and downs that are experienced in, in, in any vocation uh, are going to be experienced, but it's through those that that marriage becomes uh, tried. It's through those that that marriage becomes that, that fine wine that was the best wine that Jesus, you know, that, that Jesus changed the water into wine. It was the best wine at the wedding. Uh, there is that best wine that comes as a result of those challenges when those challenges are met with faith and love. And, 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 and even, you know, the, the, the little arguments, even when they're fa- faced with, with faith and love and desiring the ultimate good for the other, no matter uh, what the situation is, then there can be resolution, and children need to see that. Uh, then, then when they go through, you know, the, the 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 proximate portion, and they get to the immediate when it's right before the wedding, they know what marriage is because they've witnessed marriage. And like I said, John, you know, this is an you know, the antiseptic always hurts; it always stings. And I think that this is one of the reasons why we might not hear it so much from the pulpit is because the, the, the priest may well be, and, and, and I'm so glad that you said this is not to bash you know, the priests or the bishops. That's not what we're about here. It's just about looking at what, what corrective measures. So we, married couples, have got to live our sacrament better because we are a sign and a witness in the world. The priest has to speak about marriage uh, and, and not be concerned about the fact that people's feelings might get hurt. That's what I think is one of the reasons why that particular antiseptic is not used <laughs> to heal this wound, because they're afraid. You know, well, I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want them to feel badly about it. I don't want the children to think that their parents were awful. You know, and, and of course, it's, it's all in the diplomacy with delivering the message. Uh, you know, but the message nonetheless has to be it has to be delivered, um, and when it is delivered from a place of love, then then that resonates in the heart of the person. Uh, so we can't correct something if we're too afraid to approach 
and use the means that, that might be necessary to correct it. What else do you see? Well, I, first of all, I think that was beautifully put. That was excellent. And I think your point about, um, you know, being a witness to the world, I look at it this way, good, strong marriages should, uh, we're, we're essentially icons to a disbelieving world in trouble. That's and right. that's sad. We need to be icons to the world. In the, in the, in the Byzantine church, we're incense. Because along with it, right after the icons, we are incense. And so, because why? Because we're the icons to the world. Mm-hmm. So we need to start, we look at ourselves that way. But I think That's that beautiful. You, the other point that I, I think you made, which is really excellent, is that, um, you know, you know, I said that, you know, Lisa and I have a storybook marriage. Okay. That doesn't mean we haven't had issues. It doesn't mean, <laughs> like, you know, very early in our marriage, I was working at the stockbroker, and uh, I was informed by fact uh, that our firm was out of business one week before uh, Christmas. That was it. Now, our firm was, you know, talk about not ceremonious, right? <laughs> Truly. <laughs> by fact, a week before, the first appointment I ever went on as a stockbroker, um, it was basically somebody just, you know, kind of set me up, and I mean, I, they, they didn't show up, and I kept it. Anyway, again, that, that's like the first couple of, this is our marriage was beginning, we, you know, there are, there are things that happen. The thing about it is, as with suffering, Suffering has a way of either bringing you closer to Jesus or farther away. That's right. Marriage is like that, too. And I think when people say, oh, they just got lucky, they, you know, they, yeah, did I get lucky? Yeah. So did every married couple from the sense of they, at least, they received the grace of the sacrament of matrimony, which, by the way, we don't deserve grace. None of us deserve the grace. Grace is freely given. This is a, right. this is a point of doctrine. Grace is freely given. And the thing about this is that if we look back to that wedding at Cana, um, Jesus stands ready to help us. He's giving us the sacramental grace. We need to pray for each other and accept that grace that he's so eager to give us. That's right. And to move in that grace. Well, we're right to the close of the program, and I can't think of a better note to end it on. And, John, thank you, as always, for accepting my invitation, being a guest. We'll get you back on real soon. Thank you so very much, friends. The book, Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church, not a castigation, but an inspiring read to help heal a problem. want you to get it at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com, the home of Holy Reminders. Great being with you. We'll be back again with you real soon. God bless you now. Bye-bye.